You're listening to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority of their families. Thanks so much for joining me. My name is Todd Lesher. It's great to be with you. And today we're going to talk about discipline with John Roseman. John has been a family psychologist since 1971. He's the author of 19 books, and he's syndicated in over 200 newspapers nationwide. He has appeared on 2020, Good Morning America, The View, The Today Show, CNN, and CBS Later Today. He and his wife live in North Carolina, and they have two adult children and seven grandchildren. John is committed and passionate about parents raising kids with love and leadership. John, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for inviting me, Todd. Delighted to be here. Yes, I am too. So the we made this connection through a friend of the podcast, Amy Carney. So just happy to make this connection with you uh, through Amy. Grateful for her. She's been on a number of uh, episodes in the past. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your story and experiencing uh, your experience working with families? Well, I came out of graduate school in the early 1970s, believing in psychology, and uh, because of um, a series of personal experiences concerning my own children, my family, um, and then in the year 2000, accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior, um, I have come around to the conclusion, Todd, that what I call postmodern uh, psychological parenting theory is completely bogus. Mm. It's anti-biblical in every respect. And um, that the reason we are having so many problems uh, with something that our foremothers and forefathers thought was fairly simple and straightforward, the raising of children, um, the reason it has become so difficult is because we have been listening to people like me, people with capital <laughs> letters after their names, primarily in the mental health professions, tell us how to do this. And we are going to have to uh, go to Scripture, which is sufficient to tell us how to raise children properly. Yeah. Well, that's really great. And I would love for our listeners to understand a little bit more about what you mean by parenting with love and leadership. What does that look like? Well, children need two things. I mean, outside of you know provision and protection, they need two things from the significant adults in their lives. They need unconditional love, and they need unequivocal authority or leadership. Mm-hmm. And the uh, along those lines, Todd, the problem in America since the 1960s has been that American parents had been led to believe that this is all about making children feel good. Mm. And that is not our job. And the jo- and the Bible clearly says that is not our job. And uh, the reason, again, that we are having so many problems is we are, in the words of Dante in the opening uh, sections of uh, his magnificent work, which I'm blanking on right now, the title, um, he says that we're lost in a dark wood. And, and that is what has happened in American parenting. American parents are lost in a dark wood. Wow. 
Um, and we're going to stay lost as long as we think that uh, Dr. So-and-so has the answer to our parenting problems. When all they do is test, diagnose, and medicate. That's all they do anymore. Yeah. Well, take us into some of that biblical foundation for parenting that has shaped and influenced uh, the direction and guidance that you've given parents for so many years. Well, the Bible clearly says that our job is to disciple our children, mm-hmm. that we are to image God in uh, for our children, uh, on his behalf to our children, that parents are a child's first understanding of supreme beings. Mm-hmm. And um, we have to accept that responsibility very soberly. And um, today's parent, Todd, is uh, they think parenting is all about ensuring the happiness and success of children. And I tell people all over America, every chance I get, sorry to tell you, but God does not care what your child's grades are. Mm. You know, if you read Deuteronomy chapter six, verses six and seven, his first instruction to parents, which is because it's first, it's got to be significant. Mm -hmm. He's telling us that our primary job as parents is to help our children acquire a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. And uh, the child's accomplishments take uh, second, even third, fourth, fifth stage to that responsibility. And when you believe that your primary responsibility is to help your child become successful, um, you're going to not do the job that you are capable of doing with God's assignment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've kind of addressed some of these misconceptions of parenting. Do you have any particular parenting styles that you address and uh, encourage and challenge parents to take a, a more biblical approach? What are some of those that you, you deconstruct that our uh, parents are getting wrapped up in? Well, I don't even want to mention some of them okay. because some of them are ostensibly Christian. Uh, but I don't believe they're biblical. Mm-hmm. And I don't promote, Todd, and this is very important for our listeners to understand, I, I don't promote a a style of parenting. Okay. Um, I don't promote, uh, you know, we have these different styles, attachment parenting, yep. shame-free parenting, grace-based parenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't promote any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a... Uh, I don't have a label for what I'm out there in the world um, espousing. Uh, What I promote is biblical parenting. Mm -hmm. And biblical parenting, uh, the wonderful thing about the Bible is if you get a translation that speaks to you, anyone can understand the Bible. Mm -hmm. And um, God lays out a a very explicit plan. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7. Genesis 2, 24, that's where the family begins, which means that the predominant, dominant uh, relationship in the family is not the parent-child relationship. It is the husband-wife relationship. It is the only relationship that God has sanctioned. He has not sanctioned the parent-child relationship. Mm. And the reason he has not sanctioned it is because in Genesis 2.24, he commands children to leave home. Yeah. And we are not uh, raising children. I mean, the statistics are clear that we're not uh, in America raising children anymore in a way 
that uh, facilitates their successful early emancipationists mm -hmm. was once the case. Uh, in 1970, the average male was emancipating by his 21st birthday. Today, the average male is not fully emancipated until his 28th birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah. And during this time, you know, this 50 years or so, America has been the economic engine of the world. So no one can say, well, you know, the economy's been bad. No, no, it hasn't. It's been very good. And the fact that children are not emancipating as successfully and going to college before that and, and uh, seeking safe spaces because their professors assign Huckleberry Finn and other <laughs> absurd things like that, it, it's, um, it's all indicative of the fact that we've lost our way as parents. And the, the sad and tragic thing is that I speak primarily predominantly around the country in churches mm -hmm. and i speak predominantly in evangelical as opposed to mainline churches and i hear parents saying the same things in evangelical churches concerning their parenting experience and the problems they're having with their children as i hear from parents in a public school in massachusetts and uh <clears throat> we in the Christian community, we are, I think we need to confront the uncomfortable fact that we are not parenting according to biblical principle. We are parenting according to the ways of the world. And uh, if we do that, we are going to have the same problems with our children that they are having. Yeah. So when you see a, a vision or a goal for parenting, what's kind of your, your brief summary of for parents, here's your purpose. Well, your purpose is to uh, raise a child who loves God and loves his neighbor. Mm, and it's just that go. simple. That's yep. our creed. Yes. You know, that, that creed that Jesus gave us is to guide everything that we do in our lives. And um, it's, uh, it's as pertinent to the raising of children as it is to anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are to teach our children to love God. We are to raise our children in a way that honors God. And uh, I tell people all over the country, proper childering is a, uh, a means of demonstrating love for your neighbor. Hmm. And we, don't, we no longer think of it that way. We no longer think of our primary obligation, the raising of children, being to God and neighbor, mm -hmm. we think of our primary obligation, and this is half the problem, is at least half, is our only obligation is to the child in question. And that's simply not true. When the child becomes the focus of a person's parenting efforts, you know, it's all about the child, problems are going to ensue. That idea of raising your children to be a blessing to others, I mean, that right there, it just contradicts kind of cultural norms and practice, and that flows out of love for God. You, can, you can't not love people if you don't love God. <laughs> so, right, right. <laughs> yeah. But you're so right. It's just we just get entangled in the next cultural hot topic or what's scrolling through our social media feed, because we're like desperate for some sort of direction. And so when you when you talk about raising uh, or parenting with uh, 
love and leadership. Can you, I would love to get into the, the authority side uh, a little more extensively, but can you briefly, what does unconditional love look like uh, for parenting? Well, it's not touchy-feely. Mm-hmm. Um, unconditional love is not accepting of everything the child does. Um, unconditional love, and the Bible tells us this, that the father who loves his child disciplines his child. Mm-hmm. You, you really can't, um, when, when, you're, when you're looking at that, uh, the title of my typical talk around the country, uh, Parenting with Love and Leadership, um, you can't really... Uh, separate the two qualities yeah. because they really are biblically one and the same. The Bible is very clear about that. Um, we, we discipline our children in a loving way and we love our children in a disciplined way. Mm. Um, the, a, a major problem today uh, is that today's parents want to be liked by their children. Yeah. They want to have their primary objective is to have wonderful relationship with their children. Um, they want to be friends with their children. And uh, when uh, you try to extract leadership from the parenting equation and um, you know only love your children to adulthood, uh, your love is going to become distorted because it's not balanced with leadership and authority. Mm-hmm. And it's going to turn into enabling and codependence. Yeah. And in fact, Todd, um, and I do not mean what I'm about to say to be critical of women, but in America since the 1960s, we have normalized enabling and codependence in the mother-child relationship. And the father, another problem is that the father is no longer the head of the family. He is not occupying a position of headship. I think the the unconditional love is, it may be a parent's preference, to your point, is that we want to be liked, we want to be our kid's friend, but the discipline is necessary for their growth, their maturity. So can you help us unpack uh, these words that you're using, like authority, discipline, punishment, consequences, because they all get jumbled together. And I think they all have their own appropriate definition and application to parenting. Uh, People think today, parents think that discipline is a methodology, that it's a uh, behavioral technology. And the discipline of a child is not that. The discipline or discipling of a child is accomplished through the proper presentation of authority. And what I do is teach parents around the country in small groups and large audiences how to present themselves to their children as authority figures. And I say to parents all over America, this is all about a presentation. It's acting like you know what you're doing that you are qualified to occupy the position that you are in. And you do not do that when you start explaining yourself to a child. You do not do that when you when you talk to your child, bend down to his level. You do not do that when you end instructions with the word okay. Hmm. Now, this is not a methodology. It's a presentation. 
And this is the way it's, it's not, you know, I could get up here and read the same words in a drone and you'd fall asleep. Right. So it's not about the words. It's about the presentation. And this is what you as parents have to master. You have to master, and the easiest audience in the world is an audience of a child or children. And so this is no, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you have to become a good public speaker. I'm saying you in front of your children, you have to act like you know what you're doing. So you don't explain yourself, for example. And when your child says, why? Why do I have to do what you're telling me to do? Your answer should be because I said so. Mm. Oh, John, that's not right. Yes, it is. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Mm -hmm. Not because they give you a good explanation, not because they threaten you with a sufficient punishment, not because they offer you a sufficient reward but simply because they have spoken as God's representatives in your life, you are to obey. And this is what children need to understand. So I'm sure you get this question along the lines of the strong-willed child, the statement, because I told you so. Mm-hmm. And when the, when the child pushes back on that, what's the parent's next strategy? Is it just well, it depends on the pushback. I mean, if the child says, well, that's not a reason, mm-hmm. uh, my advice to the parent would just simply be to the child, well, it uh, may not be an acceptable reason to you, but it's the only reason you're going to get. <laughs> yes. This is the way we and, – and what I do a lot, Todd, is I teach parents how to talk to children. Yes. Because today's parents, they don't know how to talk. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to persuade – parents come up to me and they say, oh, I can't – my child won't do what he's told. And I go, yes, he will. You're just not telling. Hmm. You're making suggestions. How about helping mommy out with uh, by uh, carrying some of these groceries into the house uh, with me, okay? That is not an instruction. That's a suggestion. Yeah. And if you think that a human being who brings a sinful nature – an anti-authority nature into the world with him is going to um, is going to submit to a suggestion. You you are sadly mistaken. Mm. So I end up scripting things for parents. So they ask me questions of the sort that you just asked. Yeah. Well, what do I what do I say if he says, "Well, that's not a reason." You know, or what if? What do I say if uh, I tell him no and he follows me through the house? Or what do I say when um, when uh, he says this to me? What's what's my answer? And uh, what I'm doing is teaching people by scripting these situations for them how to occupy authority properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are what are some of those examples? Let's. Uh say when it when you get into kids doing what you ask them to do you just said you're not making a suggestion you are giving a direction so what's a script for like doing chores or eating their food or picking up their stuff yeah well uh you know food is is a huge issue today because um, we, as parents, the American parenting community believes children need choices. Mm. 
Uh, my parents didn't believe I needed choices at the dinner table, that I was to learn to eat what everybody else was eating, that um, the evening meal was not going to be a narcissistic experience for me. And so they put food in front of me. And I remember telling them, I don't like broccoli. And broccoli, and the answer was, we don't care. Uh, you will learn to eat broccoli because we are training you to go to someone else's house. And the rudest thing you can do at someone else's house, if you do not have a medical issue concerning broccoli, is to refuse to eat yeah. what someone else has prepared for you. And you don't eat it because you like it. You eat it because it is the proper thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a it's a teaching script, but it's taught from a basis of authority. And uh, you know, yes, there's a moral lesson there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lesson about being a good neighbor. Yeah, um, but there's also a command: you will eat what is put in front of you. Mm-hmm. And we started doing this with our kids when they were young. And by the time they were 10, they were, we would take them to sushi restaurants mm-hmm. and they would order raw fish mm-hmm. at the age of 10, yeah. 10 and six raw fish. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you put it through the lens of being a good neighbor or loving God. You know, we eat our food because we're grateful to God. <laughs> <laughs> I told my grandson once, I, he told me he didn't like spaghetti sauce. I said, well, uh, I'm not insulted because uh, I, I only mix the ingredients together. They all came from God. Mm-hmm. And we show our love of God by eating His what he has provided for us, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, his name is Patrick. Uh, he was four years old, and I said, Patrick, uh, everyone else at the table has spaghetti sauce. You are not getting butter on your spaghetti. Mm-hmm. And that's that. And if you want to, instead of eating, go upstairs and get ready for bed. I'll be up there in a few minutes to help tuck you in. Mm-hmm. But this is the only food you're getting, and you're not allowed in my house to complain at the dinner table. Mm. And uh, he looked at me for, I don't know, you know, it was a a long time uh, uh, experientially. It was probably only about five seconds. And then he he picked up his fork and he ate it. And he looked at me again. He said, Grandpa, that was pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Eat or sleep. Here's your choice. That's right. And your stomach your is choice. growling. Yeah. Stomach's not growling for the pillow. It's growling for this food. Which, you know, when you try to be their friend, they immediately know they can manipulate you. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to get to that question. And maybe let's just not- let's just start there. And we'll jump into a, a list of questions for advice here uh, for okay. all the different ways that children try to manipulate us. So let's just start there with what should parents do if their kids are manipulating them? Well, you should realize why your child is manipulating you. So I was talking to uh, a teacher. I uh, made a couple of presentations in Buffalo, New York um, last week. And uh, one of the presentations was to a group of teachers. And afterward, the teacher, a teacher, came up and said, uh, I'm having terrible problems with my three-year-old daughter. She won't do anything I tell her to do. And in the course of the conversation, he told me that he had longed when he found out that uh, his wife was pregnant with a girl that he had longed for a daddy's girl Mm. 
And I said, well, that's your problem right there. You know, you, you have wanted something that uh, God does not say that's your job. Mm. He does not say your job is to, is to have a wonderful relationship with your daughter. And this is, this is countercultural here, mm-hmm. you know, Todd? Because yeah. everybody, you, I'm not supposed to, no, you will have a good relationship if you put your leadership first. Mm-hmm. But you put the relationship, the desire to have relationship first, and you will not be able to affect good quality leadership in your child's life. And the child will begin developing the sorts of problems that this teacher was describing to me concerning his three-year-old daughter. Yeah. So the first thing I tell people when they say my child is manipulative is the, the question, the first question becomes why? What, what is it about you? that is giving your child permission to make this attempt in, uh, in your life, in, in your family. And it, one of the things I try to get across to parents is these problems that you're having with your kids, they are a reflection of what you are doing. And if you think that the correction uh, primarily needs to be done to your child, you are 95% of the time sadly mistaken. Mm. The correction needs to be done to you. Mm. It's your attitude. It's your presentation. It's your own sense of what your purpose is that is the hang-up here. Yeah. Yeah, they, they like to imitate. They are mirrors of what we do as parents. So uh, next question, what's your advice and direction for parents with strong-willed children? It's a little bit different there, but... I mean, all children are strong-willed. <laughs> you know, we, we, uh, some are just more clever and subtle about it than others. So they're more deft, you know. Uh, others are loud and, and uh, demonstrative, and others are, are clever and whiny. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, our sinful nature... And our knee-jerk uh, rejection of the idea that we all need uh, legitimate authority in our lives—that's uh, what we're calling the strong-willed mm-hmm. child. Yeah, and we're calling this child the strong-willed child because we no longer know how to uh, affect dominion. Uh, as a parent, over the child's nature by the time the child is three years old. Mm -hmm. I keep telling parents around the country, the third birthday, folks, it's the hump. Mm. And 70 years ago, when I was uh, three years old, um, my mother tells me that I was no longer throwing tantrums. I was uh, doing what I was told. Um, uh, I was not whiny. I was not petulant. and uh, when I talked to um, people who were raising children uh, around that same time, uh, they all tell me the same thing. Their children were well-behaved by the time they were three. Talk about uh, when it comes to disrespect, whether it's talk back to the parent or maybe you get feedback from a teacher that there's disrespect at school that you don't see at home. So those are kind of two different uh, expressions of the idea of handling talk back and disrespect. 
Well, you know, first of all, um, I have to say that the biggest uh, <clears throat> complaint I hear from teachers around the country, and I, I speak to a good number of teacher groups, as I did in Buffalo last week, um, the biggest complaint I hear from teachers is that parents don't think teachers are telling them the truth about their children. Hmm. Uh, parents, uh, when a teacher reports misbehavior on the part of the child, the parent, instead of thanking the teacher for giving her him an opportunity to convey a lesson to the child, uh, becomes defensive. Mm -hmm. denies that the teacher is reporting the situation properly, uh, accuses the teacher of uh, setting the child up for failure, you know, things like this. I hear this all over the country, and I think, you know, it would have been inconceivable to me that my parents would have ever defended me if a teacher reported misbehavior, and they did, of course, and my parents didn't defend me ever. And sometimes I thought there was more to the story than the teacher was telling my parents. It didn't matter. Mm -hmm. The teacher's report was the bottom line. You know, I had no point of view under the circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, from Charles' uh, perspective, that is unfair. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, you know, to a child, fair is his way. Yeah, yep. Well, and it goes back to your yeah. point about, you know, these are not, these children are not born perfect. They are born sinful. So when you get feedback from a teacher or someone at church or a coach, it we shouldn't be surprised. It's how are we going to correct this in our children. But it, it if your children are disrespectful at school, don't be surprised. They're probably disrespectful at home. It's They're probably more disrespectful um, at home. So how do we address that one, disrespect in the home? Well, the child who is disrespectful in the home uh, almost, and I will say almost invariably, uh, with with some degree of trepidation because every parent who has a, who's listening, whose child is disrespectful is going to now think they qualify for the almost. <laughs> uh, but almost always, this is a parent who's trying to be liked by the child. Mm -hmm. The child does not clearly see the parent as an authority figure and sees the parent as almost a peer because that's the way you are mm -hmm. perceived if you try to uh, be a friend or please your child and so, once again, when I hear parents say, well, my child is disrespectful, the thing that I do is uh, work with the parent to, to, under, to help them understand that uh, this is happening because uh, of what they are attempting to accomplish relationship-wise with mm -hmm. this child. Yeah. He sees you as a peer, Mrs. Yeah. Jones. Yep. He doesn't see you as an authority figure. Mm-hmm. You're not fulfilling a godly role in his life. There is only one godly parent role. You can be a parent, but to be a godly parent is another thing entirely. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, help parents understand um, 
an appropriate means of discipline and consequence because even when we talk about authority, it it's I think it's easy to for parents to jump to okay, I got to scream louder or I have to use force inappropriately and which gets dangerous and harmful. So how do parents um, assert their authority and connect consequences with misbehavior? Um, the way to correct misbehavior uh, is not. Uh, primarily through the proper use of consequences. Okay. Uh, consequences um, may be and at times are important. Uh, and it's important that parents know how to use them correctly when they are needed. Mm-hmm. But the proper discipline of a child is not accomplished by manipulating reward and punishment by using mm-hmm. consequences correctly. Um but when it comes to consequences, uh, when they're needed, what I tell parents is the uh, the punishment should never fit the crime. Uh, the punishment, if you're going to use consequences, consequences have to be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, they have to establish a permanent memory. Mm-hmm. If they don't establish a permanent memory, if they are, as is so often the case these days, nothing but annoying to the child, then you are going to revisit the misbehavior over and over yeah. and over again. Mm-hmm. And this is what parents are telling me. You know, John, we keep uh, we keep dealing with the same misbehavior over and over and over again. And virtually every time when I uh, investigate what kinds of consequences they are using, it's uh, they're using, you know, uh, my child, my seven-year-old hit me last week. So I I put him in time out for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you should have put him in time out for 30 days. <laughs> you know, you should have just suspended his life for 30 days. Mm-hmm. He can't go anywhere. He doesn't get anything. He, you know, you feed him and you put air conditioning into his room and that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of 30 days, then you have uh, an assessment. And uh, if things have gone according to Hoyle in that 30 days, fine. The child is paroled. Uh, otherwise, the 30 days become 60 days. Yeah. And some parents, they, 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 60 days, John. And I go, yeah, how long have you been dealing with this? Mm. And they stop for a minute and they go, well, two or three years. I go, well, 60 days is a drop in the bucket. Yeah, that's right. If you don't, if you don't do the 60 days, you're going to be dealing with this not for another two or three years, but for the rest of your child's residence in your home. Yeah, or the rest of their life too. If well, they, yeah, yeah, but maybe they won't deal with it. <laughs> oh, that's true. Somebody's yeah, yeah, yeah. going to deal with it. You know. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's the idea that teaching the child to think. Last time I did this, this happened, and it was pretty severe. Yeah, and I'm and not going to do that again. again. <laughs> right? Ever. <laughs> I was talking with some parents the other day along these lines, Todd, our, our listeners will hopefully uh, find the story uh, interesting and amusing. Uh, and these parents were describing with a four, five, four-year-old boy, uh, daily meltdown, screaming, yelling, calling them names, not doing what they told him to do. Um, and he was having the same problems at four-year-old kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And every single day, the parents were getting a note from the teacher. Um, 
Billy, not his real name, uh, had another bad day. And the, and the school was, com- was, uh, telling the parents that if the misbehaviors continued, they were going to have to, um, expel a four year old mm-hmm. and a private school yeah. and in, in Dallas, Texas. And uh, so I told the parents, I said, well, you know, from this point on, you guys have got to take a no tolerance approach to this. And I spent 90 minutes with them on the phone. And in my estimation, this is all it should take. I spent 90 minutes with them on the phone. The next day, the teacher comes out to the car with the child and says, uh, Billy had the best day he's had all year. I don't know what you're doing, but keep on doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I'm not going to go into what the parents did, but um, it wasn't a spanking. But, well, I will go into it. The child mm-hmm. came home from school. There was nothing in his room but a mattress on the floor and a mm-hmm. box of his least favorite clothing. <laughs> and he was told, he was told uh, any incident during the day, any incident of pushback against an instruction, any incident of yelling, screaming, uh, crying, pouting, whining, you're going to your room. At that moment, if it's 8.30 in the morning for the remainder of the day, and you're going to bed immediately after dinner. And the first day after getting off the phone with me, the parents pull the trigger on the plan. The child from 11 o'clock in the morning until the next day, morning was in his room he had to go to bed immediately after dinner and the parents told him this is your life until you straighten yourself out and he straightened himself out in 24 hours Mm. and i heard from the parents uh you know two or three days later yesterday and uh everything is still going well and parents are amazed at this you know Mm -hmm. the, the mother said john you're a miracle worker i said no 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 all I'm doing is what your great-grandmother would have done. Hmm. That's all I'm telling you to do. I have not come up with any new ideas. You know, I, God has given me an assignment, and that is not to come up with new stuff, but to help parents understand the old stuff. Hmm. That's right. Well, how do parents keep their cool when disciplining their kids? Well, that's how you keep your cool. <laughs> <laughs> You you demonstrate to your child that, no, 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 he cannot knock you off balance, but you can surely knock him off balance in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm using that as a metaphor. I'm not, I sure. want to make clear, I'm not right. saying you strike your child and knock him off balance. Yeah. I'm saying that the parent communicates to the child, there is nothing you can do that will upset me, mm-hmm. but I can upset you in a heartbeat. I don't want to, but I will. Yeah. And it ties back to what you're saying about how you're presenting yourself, which takes some preparation, is instead of parenting in the moment, you have prepared for the moment. That's right. Is, you have to be proactive, mm-hmm. Todd. Yep. You have to think about this, and you almost have to imagine yourself uh, uh, in these situations with your child before the situation occurs so that you've already – You've already uh, scripted the situation in your head before it happens. And so that you're not ever at a loss for words when your child uh, throws uh, some curveball at you. Mm -hmm. Well, John, this has been really helpful and you've given us some gold to take away. How can parents find out more about your work? Uh, JohnRosemond.com, parentguru.com, and I 
the second one kind of tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got two websites. Um, my speaking schedule is on my websites. I'm all over the country and, um, uh, you know, my bookstore on my websites, things like that. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a mission to me and it's a ministry and I'm 72 years old and somebody asked me the other day, when am I going to retire? Mm-hmm. And I said, I have no plans for that. I don't, I don't read the word retirement in the Bible. And, uh, you know, God will let me know when it's time for me to quit. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. any final advice or encouragement for our listeners? Um, you know, just, uh, you know, as the English say, uh, carry on and be the parent. <laughs> there we go. Well, John, thank you so much for taking the time out to be on this podcast and speaking to our <sighs> listeners. Tremendously grateful for your time. Let me say a prayer to finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Help us carry on and parent and give us the courage to do that. Help us to plan and prepare. And I pray that parents would understand more fully after listening to this, that that you have given them this responsibility and that their children can grow up to respect them and to make wise choices and to appreciate their authority and to love God and love people as a result of it. So continue to use John uh, across the nation and in various settings to speak in and encourage and remind parents of who you have created and gifted them to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Todd, thank you so very much, brother. And anytime you want to do this, just let me know. I'm at your disposal. Thanks so much, John. Parent on parents, you got this. Thanks for joining us for the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority in their families. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you showed your support by sharing, subscribing, and rating this podcast on iTunes. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest to you, visit foresthill.org.